got to uh, the first part of verse 13, chapter 13, we slowed way down, took a couple of weeks to look at uh, Daniel and uh, 2 Thessalonians, a little bit of Matthew, how all of that led to the imagery in uh, Revelation 13. And uh, <clears throat> because we slowed down so much, I want to uh, kind of pick up the speed now and move through a little bit more quickly now that we've got that background already established. Um, however, in order for us to move forward through chapter 13, I do want to do a quick review because it's been a while since we've been together and it's been a while since we looked at it. So um, chapter 13, we are introduced to two beasts. One comes from the sea and one comes from the land. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to rehash what we've already done as we looked at the first beast. Um, but let me give you just a very quick outline that, that summarizes the first half of the chapter. All, there's four words, they all start with W, and they kind of outline the chapter for us really quickly. <clears throat> um, verse 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems, those are crowns on his horns, blasphemous names on its heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So remember, we talked about the dragon in chapter 12. The dragon is, uh, is Satan. Verse 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13, we're introduced to the first beast, the beast that came from the sea, and we've identified him as the Antichrist. Right? Now, Here's what's going to happen when he appears. The first W is wonder. In verse 3 it says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, wondered, marveled at this uh, Antichrist. So when he comes, he will be able to perform miracles um, he will do amazing signs that will capture people's attention, one of which may even be that um, whether it actually happens or whether it's a lie, it very well could be that the Antichrist will apparently die and then come back to life like Jesus did. Antichrist, he's, he's a fake Christ, and so he very well may um, even... Uh, fake that resurrection like, like Jesus did. Um, we get that from the fact that one of those heads has a mortal wound and that mortal wound was healed. Uh, so in verse 3, the first W is there will be wonder when he comes. The second W is verse 4, and that is that the people will worship him. In verse 4, they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So people will wonder at the um, Antichrist. They will worship the Antichrist, 
and thereby worship the power behind him, which is Satan. And then verses uh, 5 and 6, we get the third W, and that is words, W-O-R-D-S, words. It says, uh, verse 5, the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So the, the Antichrist is going to say horrible things about God, blasphemous things, and he will be um, in a position of authority for three and a half years. We assume that's the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, the time that we call the Great Tribulation. Verse 6, it says, It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So um, the people, when the Antichrist comes, the people on earth will wonder. They will worship him. They will hear words from him. And the last W that summarizes the first beast, the last W is war. He will bring war. Verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then it goes on to quote uh, a proverb, if uh, anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So there will be a terrible war. During that war, believers will be killed. There will be terrible um, uh, persecution Believers will be martyred. And that, that proverb is kind of confusing. I think the best way for us to understand the proverb in verse 10 is um, there's nothing really that we can do to stop the, uh, the violence. Some of us will be um, tortured. Some of us will die. There's not anything we can do about that. But he ends that by, with a reminder. The reason, John would say, the reason I'm telling you this is so that you will endure. Know ahead that it's going to be bad. And then when it gets bad, stay faithful. Remember the promise is that uh, uh, if we remain faithful even unto death, then we receive the crown of life. That's a, a promise that we have in the earlier part of Revelation. And so uh, that's the way I understand that proverb. Some will be um, persecuted, thrown in jail. Others will actually be killed. But uh, you endure even when the bad times come. Okay? So the, uh, the first beast that came from the sea representing the Antichrist, he's going to be a... a Sure, slick talker. He's, he's going to be a good-looking fellow. He's going to be all kinds of power. Uh, folks are going to be drawn to him. And those who have always rejected the truth 
will now accept a lie. And those who have always turned away from God now will turn to the, uh, the one representing the enemies of God. Um, it's going to be a, a, a weird time, a scary time, uh, where good is bad and bad is good. Um, So there, there will be a time they, when he shows up, people will wonder at him. They'll begin worshiping him. He'll speak terrible words of blasphemy against God. And he will actually um, have war against God's people. Okay? Any question? I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the, in the background stuff that we've already done. But any question or comment about that summary of the first beast in the first half of the chapter? All right, then, then let's move forward to the second beast, the last half of the chapter. And I have given to you a, uh, a couple of little tables. This is not my work. This is the work that was done and published by Charles Swindoll. Uh, but I thought it was so good that I wanted to make sure that you got to see it. And in this work, this little handout, he shows you how there is apparently two parts to the tribulation. When we talk about the tribulation, there are many tribulations. Tribulation means a, a terrible time that we have to go through. There are many of those in life. Some of us have already experienced tribulation. But when we put the article in front and say the tribulation, then we're talking about the seven-year period, understanding that seven may or may not be um, literal. But there will be a time toward the end of, of the age where there will be a major tribulation for the entire world. Then when we talk about the great tribulation, we're talking about the last half of the tribulation. And so there are three and a half years in the first half, three and a half years in the last half. In the first half of the tribulation, you remember we met, uh, we, we will... Uh, have the two witnesses. We met them in, I want to say it's chapter 11, but we met the two witnesses who will speak on behalf of God. Before everything goes crazy and nuts, they're going to show up to tell the world one more time, guys, you, you, you better believe in God. This is a real deal. Right, we'll have the two witnesses here. The last half, when things really get bad, instead of two witnesses, those witnesses are killed, by the way, instead of two witnesses, will have two beasts, one from the sea, one from the land. The one from the sea is the one we just talked about, the Antichrist. We're about to talk about the second beast, whom we've always called the false prophet. Um, you don't see him called the false prophet in chapter 12, but we do see that title later in Revelation uh, applied to this beast. Um, in the first half of the tribulation, uh, we read that Israel fled. In the last half, we see them hiding in the wilderness. The first half of the tribulation, the saints are protected. I think this is interesting. Um, so many times people get, get kind of hung up on what's going to happen to Christians in the tribulation, and they get a little confused because, well, I heard we were going to be protected in the tribulation. Well, I heard we were not going to be protected. Well, the answer is 
The first half, there is some protection. The last half, that protection is removed. And the Antichrist is given authority uh, to wage war. When we went through, uh, uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, we talked about seven trumpets. And then we talked about seven bulls. Um, I think this is oversimplifying it. But Swindoll puts those as the first half of the tribulation and the last half. And I'm okay with that. I think it's a little more complicated than that, but we can live with that. So when we talked about the seven trumpets, you can basically see that as the first half of the tribulation. And now we are in currently talking about the seven bowls, and that is the last half. So uh, you see the two-part tribulation. And then the other uh, table that you have there talks about these two beasts. And uh, let's go ahead and, and look at uh, the rest of chapter 13, and then we'll return to this table that summarizes the, the uh, differences and similarities in them. Okay? So verse 11, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. First beast comes from the sea. This one comes from the land. Um, there are only three foundations, if you want to use that word, or, or there's only three parts to our world. There is water, there is land, and there is sky. Now, if sky represents heaven, we talk about sky in those terms of the heavens, um, then the only two left are the sea and the land. Those two are obviously about the, the earth, about uh, this fallen nature in which we live. And so both these beasts come from this fallen nature, the fallen earth, come from the water and from the, the land. This one comes from the earth. It says, he had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. In apocalyptic literature, remember we talked about the horn represents authority. And so when the first beast had ten horns, we saw that that represented ten leaders or ten governments. Now this one has two horns like a lamb. And I take that to mean that he has authority, but his authority is not political because there are no crowns on his, on his throne. Uh, I'm going to get to it. No crowns on his horns. There we go. The first beast had a bunch of horns. They each had a crown, a diadem. This beast has two horns like a lamb, but there are no crowns. I take that to mean, as many others do as well, that he will have authority, but his authority is not political. This is a religious leader. His horns are like those of a lamb. He's a, uh, he's a religious leader. And uh, the description continues that he had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So he looks like a lamb. He has a position of religious authority. But when he speaks, he speaks like 
the dragon who is Satan, right. So he is Satan's spokesperson. Now, for a religious leader to be Satan's spokesperson, you'd, you'd, you'd have to say that, that they have created a new religion. And you'd be right. Toward the end, all of the world will be encouraged and eventually even forced to participate in a new religion in which the second beast, the beast from the land, points everybody's attention to the first beast and tells them to worship the first beast. And the first beast is empowered to drive people to the dragon. Does that begin to sound familiar at all? That there is one who points people to another who represents the, the ultimate authority. This is similar to our trinity. This is the unholy trinity. Everything that Satan does is counterfeit. Remember that. Satan and God are not equals. Don't ever make that mistake. Satan and God are not equals. Satan's equal is someone like Michael, an archangel. The only thing Satan can do is counterfeit. He cannot create. He counterfeits then in the end. He counterfeits even the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, according to the Gospel of John, I think we'd find it in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit's role is to point people to Jesus. Jesus then points people to God. He, he brings people to God the Father. So you've got the Holy Spirit pointing people to Jesus, Jesus bringing people to God the Father. In the unholy trinity, you have a false prophet who points people to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist then, empowered by Satan, brings people to Satan. You see the similarities? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so let's see, where are we? He speaks, uh, he looks like a lamb, but his words are like that of the dragon. Verse 12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. That phrase, in its presence, that's probably not the best translation of that phrase. Uh, what it means is on, its, on his behalf. So the, the second beast acts with the authority that was given to the first beast. He acts um, on behalf of the first beast. The false prophet points people to the Antichrist. He, the things he does are done on the Antichrist's authority. Uh, the last part of verse 12 then, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. 
Does that make does that sound familiar? Fire coming down from heaven. Where did we where have we seen that happen? Fire came down from heaven in front of people. Right. Elijah standing up to the prophets of Baal. Fire came down from heaven, lit up the altar, right? Remember, Satan only counterfeits. And so he's even going to do that. Now, in the Old Testament, Elijah is the, most people see him kind of like the top prophet. He is the representative of all prophets. And it was Elijah who acted on God's behalf. And God brought down the fire from heaven to prove to all of Israel that Baal was not real, but God was. Now, in the end, the unholy trinity is going to do something similar. The false prophet will stand in the position of Elijah, and he will be able to make fire come down, counterfeiting the real miracle. He will make fire come down so that people will now believe what he's saying, like they believed what Elijah said when it happened the first time. Elijah pointed people to God. A false prophet will use this strange miracle to point people to the beast and therefore Satan. So in 13 again, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Again, presence of the beast is a little confusing. That means on behalf of. And so the things that he does on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist, will deceive those who live on the earth. The last part of verse 14, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So he is going to be able to convince the people to worship the Antichrist. At one point he'll call fire from heaven and that, that will convince many. And then he will even convince them to set up some kind of image of the Antichrist is this a statue, uh, like a hologram? I don't know. But he will convince them to set up this image so that they can worship him. 15, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So if this is a statue, it will be an animated statue that speaks. That's kind of why I'm picturing something more like a hologram or something like that. But there will be an image of the Antichrist, and that image will draw people to him and convince folks to worship him. And then toward the end there, did you notice that those who don't worship that image will be slain? 16, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, 
both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell anything unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. So in order to force people to worship the beast, in order to, to, to force people to worship the Antichrist, the false prophet is going to set up a system by which you can only get this mark if you're willing to worship the Antichrist. If you don't worship the Antichrist, you don't get the mark. If you don't get the mark, you don't get to buy your milk and your bread and your eggs. You don't get to buy food. You don't get to do business. And the idea is clear that if you're not able to buy your food, you're not able to eat, you're not going to live long. And so a lot, there's a lot of speculation about what this mark will be. And let's just, let's just be real careful when we start speculating about that because it is by design a mystery to this point. When that happens, when we get to that day, those who believe in God will recognize it for what it is. Those who don't believe probably won't, they, they don't know this truth, so they won't think anything about it. It's just what you got to do these days. But the believers in that day will see it for what it is. What that means is we're not going to understand what it is until that day. Otherwise, we'd be able to tell everybody, hey, watch out for this sign that's going to come. If we knew ahead of time, it would mess everything up. So we're not going to know, okay? Through the years, people have played a lot with the sign and trying to figure out what the mark will be, especially when we get to the next verse. He's already said that it's going to be the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom in verse 18. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. You see, the, the one who has understanding, those are the believers who, um, who have the benefit of this teaching. So when they get into the tribulation, they have the benefit of this teaching. They have the wisdom. So let them calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man... And his number is 666. Okay. So there's going to be some kind of a, of a name that's a number. For us, that's very confusing. But in the ancient world, it wouldn't have been that crazy. What is the Latin number for 10? X, Roman numeral, Latin. Latin is Roman. So Roman number for 10 is Latin, and so the Roman number is 10, right? Is X. X is a letter. Why are they using a letter for a number? 
That's what I never did understand about algebra. I did okay with math when math was numbers. But then they started throwing letters in there, and then it got all confusing. Now, here's my point. The Roman numeral for the number 10 is a letter. The same thing is true in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. They used their letter. They didn't have numbers. They used their letters for those numbers. So when he says there's a name, but the name, but, but then he, he, he has a, um, what does he say? He says the name of the beast or the number of its name. The reason he uses that phrase is he's saying when you see the name, transfer those letters into the numbers. Otherwise, they would just see the letters and think it's letters. So he's saying when you see the name, you can transfer those into numbers. All that to say, this Antichrist will be represented by the number 666. So what is 666? Again, let me stress, we're not supposed to know yet. So I'm not going to give you the answer. We don't have the answer. But through the years, folks have played with it a lot. And uh, they could, uh, just by looking at how many letters were in somebody's name, they could prove that Hitler was 666. On the other end of the spectrum, Ronald Reagan was, I guess his three names had six numbers in, in, or six letters or whatever. So they, some people even said Ronald Reagan was 666. Through history, it's been Stalin. Um, it's been Mussolini. Folks have been able to assume that they were playing, that they were figuring out these numbers and applying it to many different names throughout history. I can tell you that so far everybody's been wrong. All right, it's been wrong every time so far. Because this is a being who is yet to come and it cannot therefore be someone in our history. So everybody's been wrong so far. But let's work on the number a little bit. Um, notice there's a, there's a phrase that we might run over quickly if we're not careful. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, which I find very interesting because man has a number. You know the number seven is the number of completion, of perfection, right? We see seven throughout Scripture. Even in Revelation, we've talked a good bit about this. Even in Revelation, there were seven letters to seven churches. There are seven trumpets, seven bowls. Um, there, we see seven often in Scripture. It's the number of completion. How many days in a full week? Come on, you're not asleep yet. Seven. Yeah, seven. It's the number of completion, right? God completed his creation, and then he rested and completed the week. So seven is a number of completion. That means perfection. One number short of perfection is six. Six is the number 
of, for man. Six is the number for man. We're short of completion. Um, even, the, even the way that we understand reality, we could say is based on six. The only way we can understand reality is with time. By the way, that's what changes in the new heaven and the new earth. There is no time. That's one of the major changes. That's what eternity is, is the lack of time, not the lack of the absence of time. Okay? While we're here, though, we are bound by time. So since time is what makes, makes reality work for man, let's look at time for just a minute. Um, how many seconds in a minute? How many minutes in an hour? How many hours in a day? 24 is 6 times 4, right? We got 6 times 10 seconds make a minute. 6 times 10 minutes make an hour. 6 times 4 hours make a day. Um, how many months in a year? 2 times 6 makes the months in the year. See, even the way that man figures out how to connect with the world around him is based on 6. 6 is the number for man in ancient numerology. So, the Antichrist number is the, it says is the number of a man. And that's the number 666. Two real possibilities for why there's three digits, six, six, and six. Actually, there's many possibilities, but two that I'm willing to throw out here. One, could that represent the unholy trinity? The number is the number of man, which is six. But the sa Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet each get a digit. And so you got 666. They're working together. And what is their promise? Their promise is the same thing that, that Satan promised Adam and Eve back at the very beginning. You can do this without God. You don't have to do things God's way. So if we have an unholy trinity who at the end, just like at the beginning, now at the end, they are turning people away from God, saying, we, you can do this without him. They're emphasizing the power of man without God. And they're all three involved in it. So this is a man number, man number, man number, 666. Another possibility is that when they wanted to emphasize something in the ancient languages. They repeated it. If you and I want to emphasize something, we use the exclamation point. Right? Exactly. When we talk about God, we say, holy, holy, holy. What we mean with that is, all caps, holy, exclamation point, 
all in bold and italicized. Right? It's the way we emphasize it. But to emphasize it, they had to say it three times. What if the number of man is emphasized? This is not about God, it's about you. And the unholy trinity's message is man can, can do without God. At the end, we don't want God. You can do it on your own. We can do this. Man can do it. Emphasizing man over and over and over. 666, man, man, man. Now, how is that, how is that going to show up? at the end time. I don't know. That's the mystery. I think six is significant because it is short of perfection. It is the number of man. But that doesn't tell us what the mark is going to look like or the name of the Antichrist. Whatever that looks like, however that works, is that going to be a chip that is slid under the skin? Is that going to be a barcode that's tattooed? I, I don't know. Is it even going to be a literal experience? I, I'm not even sure on that. But those who are marked with the mark of the beast will be able to do everyday business. And you only get the mark if you bow down and worship him. So those believers who are still around at that time who reject the beast will not get the mark and they will unfortunately suffer a terrible time. All right. And uh, tonight we don't get to go on to the end of the story, but you know there is an end to the story. And the end to the story is the Antichrist is defeated, the false prophet is defeated, Satan is defeated, and our Jesus wins, which means we win as joint heirs with him.